Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. Here we go. I had a cold during a certain week and I recorded two episodes. So this is the second of my stuffy nose series, I guess. I hope it's not an annual podcast series, but we never know. So I think I mentioned on the last episode, I'm trying to revamp things a little bit, add some sound and change how I do this intro. And I'm going to really make an effort not to share the entire podcast in the intro like I'd been doing. I got feedback, basically. I knew I knew I had ways to improve but it wasn't until I realized someone else noticed it <laughs> that I'm doing it. And it was nice. It was nice to get feedback. It was nice to react maturely to that feedback. I have a tendency to not always act maturely to feedback in some situations. So I, I feel like uh, there's some growth there, you know. But one thing we talk about in this episode, the guest, Simon Pryor, is a QA analyst for EasyJet for a travel company. And some people, if you're not familiar with software or even what the term QA means, you might not know, but a very important part of the software development process is QA. Because if you don't test, and it's something people try to avoid on projects, but if you don't test, you're not going to uncover bugs and they're going to be live. And what that means is your end users are going to see problems. They might not be able to transact on your website, etc. As a consumer, some of you guys might go on websites to buy something and you'll notice some error and something that prevents you from doing what you want. That's a bug. That means either QA didn't catch it or they probably didn't have QA is is likely. So we talk a lot about QA and why it's important. And it's kind of fun for me just because, well, you'll see. I'm not going to tell you. You have to listen for about five minutes. You'll know. What I like with Simon is he's an advocate for people. And you'll hear about that. But it just really made me really think again about the idea that all of us can make an impact on a cause that's important or even to people who are important. Maybe there's just someone that you haven't reached out to in a while because you know, they were going through a difficult situation. And so how you can make an impact with them is actually just reaching out. It's just your time and maybe being a little uncomfortable, you know, but that's making a difference. There can be other things where like there's a cause you, you want to have an impact on or a community. So you find what's within your means and ability and you pursue it. And there's always that risk, that vulnerability of maybe doing something new or meeting new people or maybe going into something where you don't know what it's all about. But it's really important, I think, that all of us, when we have something that we want to do, we we go do it. And so Simon stands up for a certain group of people and he approaches it through education, policy, in his workplace and other communications. And you'll hear all about that. But I just think if you can look at like time, maybe you can contribute time, money. Maybe you are good at writing policy. I'm doing that whole program I've talked about on here, the public leadership credentials, so that I can be handy with policy. But I just want to encourage everyone to think about when you're listening to Simon and areas he's making an impact on, maybe what areas you can do that in as well. If that's what you want to do. If not, um, maybe just share the episode. Since <laughs> that's something you can do, that'll help me out. <laughs> we also talk about pursuing work or actually in his case companies that reflect your values a lot of us work in corporate jobs that aren't really 
what our life is all about, but you can still make sure that where you're working reflects your values and you'll know you're not aligned because it's just not going to feel good a lot of the time. So empowering yourself to do that first via knowing your values, maybe assess what your values are. I actually want to redo this because I did this probably a year and a half ago and I think I need to assess it again and see if I'm really living within mine. This podcast is part of me reflecting my values because I feel like it is positive at helping people. And I have heard that from others. So I did get that feedback. But I think it's really great to assess your values. And we talk a little bit about that. And then to find places or organizations or even people that do that. It doesn't mean always finding people who agree with you or you have the same exact stance on everything on. But just having people around you and in your community that you share values with so you're not just completely inauthentic every time you're out and about or talking to people or even going to work. So I think I'll leave it there. That's a good summary of what I'm hoping people get out of this episode. What I'm trying to do is just say things to watch out for. I'd love to hear from you and what you get out of it. If you get anything out of it, so you can email me at morethanworkpod at gmail.com or you can go on social media. You can find me in a lot of places. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate you being here. And here's the episode. Welcome back, everyone. Today, or it's really tonight, but I like to tell you sometimes when I'm recording, it's nighttime here, and both of us are in the UK. It's Simon Pryor. He's a senior test manager at EasyJet, a podcast host, and a neurodiversity advocate. So he's basically challenging me for the number of titles someone can have (laughs) at once. So Simon, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Good. So what part of the UK are you in? I'm in a town called Aylesbury, which is just north of London in okay. Leaf- leafy Buckinghamshire. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so a little bit. Yeah, it's less leafy here in, <laughs> in the middle of Camden. But <laughs> So how, how are you doing right now? I mean, you're at EasyJet, so you're at an airline. Yeah. Yeah, working for an airline during a pandemic has definitely been uh, interesting. Quite <laughs> challenging at times, but yeah, no, it's good now. We seem to be coming to the other side and ramping up the teams again and, and hiring and, and positive positive vibes everywhere. So, yeah, it's a nicer place to be now than it was six to seven months ago. Yeah, so. I can imagine. So you're a senior test manager, meaning a QA person. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So for those who don't do software, which a lot of people listen to, just kind of they're my colleagues, but can you describe your, your job in IT? Yeah, so I started in development like 12, 14 years ago. And moved into testing. I moved into testing because I was in a team of developers that all had 15 years experience and there was me as a graduate. So I never got anywhere near the code. Mm. So I started picking up some of the test tasks and I thought I'll try and break your code instead of being writing it. So I, I went down that route instead and actually found I enjoyed the element of trying to improve the software by finding all the issues and defects before we release it to customers and then get loads of bad reviews everywhere. So, yeah, it's just become a passion, really, that I'm there to, me and my teams are there to ensure the right level of quality in what we're releasing by testing it, by asking questions, by challenging the status quo with the decisions that people are making from a requirements perspective and just trying to make sure it's the right level of quality for our customers to be happy with. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I've done QA a little bit, but more just as an end user, like there's no one else doing QA kind of thing. And I found that when I'm just a project manager and not doing QA, I would get super annoyed at QA for finding things <laughs> in a way. And then I would get super annoyed at them if they found nothing. Because I'd be like, all right, I have to go test now because you guys found absolutely nothing. There's a problem. 
but then this huge satisfaction in doing the QA part and finding something. Yeah. So just as one person had a complex relationship with the QA people, so how do you? I just I'm curious about how you deal with that. I'm not interviewing you for a job. I know. No, but no, no. I think being in a, a position that's really difficult. How how do you do that and find satisfaction in your job? Well, it is it's an interesting one because I've had some really challenging humdinger conversations with PMs in the past where they've gone, <laughs> "We're not having testers involved at the start of a project. No way. We haven't got the money for that. You can only get involved for the last month. That's when you do your testing." And I'm like. Let us involve. Let us get involved at the start. We can help make the product better. And having to have those discussions, so it's it does sometimes feel like you're wading through treacle to get people to listen to the idea of testing doesn't have to happen at the end. It can happen all the way through. But yeah, it's it, it, persuasion is definitely a big part of the role and being able to articulate why and how and what we need to do and not just be about writing a load of tests and telling you whether it's passed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Because you have to do a lot of interpreting, depending on how well they wrote the requirements. So you're so passionate about it, though, that you actually have a podcast called a Testing Peers Podcast. That's right, yeah. So I'd like to hear about that. I mean, I've, I've listened to it, but can you just tell people? Yeah, so the concept started about three, four years ago. I met one of the other co-hosts, Chris, at a conference, a testing conference called UK Star in London. And he... He sort of kept in touch, and then he suddenly sent out a WhatsApp to about 10 or 12 people about three, four months later, um, saying, uh, you know, a lot of us working testing, we feel quite isolated in our companies. There's no one around to challenge us from a testing perspective. How about we set up this accountability group that we sort of share ideas with each other and bounce things off each other? And we, we started with a WhatsApp group, then it became a Slack. And there was about 12 or 15 of us, but only four of us were really quite active. Mm-hmm. And we started talking about, well, maybe we should do something with all our sort of knowledge and share back and you know, give back to the community of testers and stuff. So we, we started looking at doing a blog. And then we're like, everyone does blogs. So let's do a podcast. And now everyone does podcasts. But it was an idea of <laughs> let's, let's start something and, and see how it goes. The other guys weren't quite as passionate about it as I was to start with. But about three, four months after we'd started discussing it, we're like, well, let's just try it. Let's put an episode out. So May 2020, we started. It's all about testing and leadership. We're all test managers or test leaders in different areas of the, the country. Two of them are in consultancy companies. One works for a test tool vendor. And then there's me working for EasyJet. So we've got a mix of different career paths. And so, yeah, it's it's just really all our experience with a bit of light light banter in it as well, if we can mm-hmm. um, do that. And, and just talking about leadership, mental health, testing, anything we think we can give back and will help people, really, from our experiences. Yeah. Well, and people who are in certain parts of software engineering aren't known to be the most social people generally (laughs) that's very true and (laughs) yeah and just but you seem to have found a way to create a sense of community and how has that just impacted you and even in your work by having this thing it's outside of it yeah it's been incredible because they have become like three of my best friends we talk every day over slack or or over whatsapp or, or what have you it's it's given you know when things are tough like you know working in an airline during a pandemic where you're thinking i'm going to lose my job it's it's Mm -hmm. it's a channel to to talk to people that understands the industry so when you're frustrated with the fact that people aren't getting what we need to do with a testing perspective in a project you've got people that are like yeah i feel your pain have you thought about trying this and there is a big wider community there's there's things like the ministry of testing which is a a very well-known testing community with thousands of testers all over the world and 
there's a lot of people that are willing to share their knowledge but just having the testing peers group has been like a small little group that we've been able to sort of share ideas and stuff we've even started putting things on a we've got an i said no channel now on our slack where we actually turn down opportunities to speak or do things because we're trying to keep our ability to do too much within check within the testing world so it's yeah it's 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 really good to keep us accountable to each other and um make sure we're doing the right things yeah and what about as far as the podcast have you seen like just has anyone written to you and said oh thanks for doing this episode or this helped me or that kind of thing yeah we've had a couple and we did one on burnout a few mm-hmm. months ago which actually got a lot of feedback saying thank you you know you, you know you, you're talking about things that i've done and i've experienced similar things and again on some of the testing topics as well we've done one on project testing involved at the start of projects and things like exploratory testing and test automation as well that was a big topic and people come back going yeah you're right you know you, you look on linkedin and everyone thinks test automation you have to automate everything but actually mm-hmm. real real life is it not like that and thank you for sharing your ideas so yeah i mean we we don't get i don't know what it's like with your podcast but we don't get as much interaction as we'd like through comments and stuff yeah. on linkedin and, and twitter but you know the ones we do get are usually pretty positive and and thanking us and and giving us some feedback which we can then use to improve mm-hmm. absolutely i mean on, on the feedback question i mean for me too i wish i had more interaction with people mm-hmm. because i really you know i think i say it and i think you guys do too like go to our Twitter. I know you guys mentioned, like, go to our Twitter and comment on this or whatever. And yeah. I don't, but then I will hear from that one person that just completely makes the difference for me. Yeah, like, okay. absolutely agree. It's that one person that comes back. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really nice. The subject of burnout, that's an interesting one. I wrote an article on burnout, I guess, I guess earlier this year. It seems like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and... And I complete. I have done that. I've had that experience, and you've had that experience too, right? I'm just completely. Yeah, I did. I've, I've I've hit it a couple of times. The first time I was working for a big cybersecurity company, and I had a team in India, I had a team in the US, I had a team in Ireland, and I was working oh, wow. 14 hour days to keep yeah. in touch with everyone. Traveling to Ireland once a month to go and be with the team that I'd literally just set up. I hired graduates from Ireland to try and build this test team, and I was literally you know, checking my phone during the night you know to, to answer calls and, and answer emails and you know panicking if i don't answer it straight away you know there's going to be implications that etc etc not realizing that the expectation was then set because i was answering those emails at two in the morning mm-hmm. that oh simon will answer them at two in the morning we can send him any time and he'll answer um i became very disconnected from my wife and the kids my oldest was three at the time my youngest was like four months six months and then one morning I woke up, I was sat at the table and I just collapsed. My head hit the table on the floor, hit, hit, hit the table on the way down. I was in A&E all day and they said it was stress that had caused it. Wow. And so my boss at the time, who still one of the best bosses I've ever had, was like, take two weeks off, just sort yourself out, just just take some time. We've got everything, don't worry about a thing. And it gave me some time to reflect on what do I actually want? Where do I want to go? What are my values? Are we, am, I, am I still sort of meeting my values as far as what I'm trying to do day to day? And uh, yeah, it, it changed me completely. I, I stepped back from a lot of the stuff I was doing internally that was sort of not work related, but for the company and decided to stick to just my role and focus on my team and, and shut down a lot of the avenues that I was at the time doing externally. Um, and yeah, I eventually six months later, I decided to leave because I felt that my, my values weren't being met. And I moved on and 
yeah so it's been it's been tricky and then pandemic hit with easyjet and <laughs> burnout happened again from sitting at your laptop all day long in yeah. 10 hours of meetings and not moving and not he- being healthy not eating properly and yeah it's it was a it was a fun few months earlier this year or end of last year yeah well it was just a weird and you were going into the office before the pandemic or no yeah yeah i was yeah. three four days a week in the office before the pandemic mm-hmm. and then now it's one to two days a week now we're out of it again so okay yeah that's an interesting thing too because i think a lot of people i was always remote mm-hmm. i mean for the last five years so yeah. what changed though what i noticed was like at the clients and stuff they were online more so it was you know their commuting time and stuff gave you a break in a way yeah and they weren't doing it and all of a sudden they were kind of working these longer days and expecting us and it's like well i've already sorted out my balance issues (laughs) but but even for us too we ended up a lot of us ended up working like crazy hours Mm. during different times and it was funny because right when i published my article i the next week i kind of broke down a little bit and i was like oh what are you doing like go read your article you know yeah. and did you feel like you were able to handle the burnout better the second time just having yeah through I, it? I think so i mean i i was i i, I sort of took on some sort of therapy a year and a half ago to try and help mm-hmm. me with some sort of confidence issues i had from a previous role as well uh, where i lost yeah. all my confidence and my ability so mm-hmm. i i was in therapy and and she was my, my therapist was really helpful with it and she's like it's really important that you find a way to separate between work and home even if you are in the same building and and that was something i was really struggling with because the commute was the the compression compression time between Mm -hmm. work and home or or getting ready for work in the morning you'd listen to music listen to podcasts you had that break and suddenly you go from that to not having your 45 minute an hour commute each way Mm -hmm. and and trying to work out you know i literally just i say bye to the kids and then i open the office door and go in and, and start work it's it's there's no no transition and you just end up either being sat at the office desk for longer or you carry your work mobile around with you in the house and you're checking your emails when you're sat with the kids and it just yeah it it wasn't great but I did start to put things in place like adding breaks to my calendar to give me Mm -hmm. some downtime and deliberately leaving my phone in the office shutting my laptop lid when I leave it and not going back to it um Mm -hmm. it's not always possible but at least if I can do that four or five four four days a week out of the five or three days a week out of the five then it gives me gives me some downtime in the evenings at least yeah it's just setting those boundaries somehow i was in a studio for most of the time until about a month and a half ago and that it really took a lot but it was also that same thing of that laptop gets put away i use my laptop for my stuff because a lot of people have one but yeah you know it's important so no that's good that you figured that out and that you're you're able to get help but i think people listening should know that this is a normal thing that absolutely agree yeah definitely you know because i think a lot of people just beat themselves up like oh i should be handling this better i don't have covid i'm lucky well whatever you know yeah (laughs) you've got whatever going on you're right it's normalizing it for everyone everyone's everyone's experienced a tough 18 months two years um Mm -hmm. they've just dealt with it in different ways yeah it's it's accepting that and and being free to talk about it as well not feeling like you're 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 doing disservice by talking about it well, yeah, now the transition out is interesting. How's returning to the office been for you? It was weird at start because the first time I went back in, I was like, I'm not going to get any work done today because everyone just wants to say hi and meet for coffee, which is mm-hmm. great. It's great to socialize again. But, you know, you st- at that stage, you're still a bit wary. Everyone's still wearing masks. Everyone's elbow bumping rather than and shaking yeah. hands or, or, or whatever. And it's like, I, 
not sure I want to spend this much time in this close vicinity. And they, they'd done it so the desks were separated a bit more than they were before and mm-hmm. limited capacities and meeting rooms, but it it still felt very strange being around that many people. But now it's kind of got back into a normal rhythm and, you know, you don't have so many social coffees other than the ones you plan to do. There's no... You, you actually get some work done as well. So it's it's not too bad now. It's nice for a change for to be in one day a week at the moment. So... It, yeah, it gets you out. Mm, absolutely. So one episode that I really that resonated with me on your podcast, and I want to talk about your podcast because I really do like it, and I mm. think especially people in the tech industry would, because especially cool. QA, I don't think QA gets much of a shout, and I, I do, despite my sounding like I don't like QA, I really <laughs> do. I think it's the most important thing because once a bug's out there, like anyone who develops an app, for the Apple App Store, yeah, and they push a bug out, they know how devastating it is because yeah. they might have that bug for a while. So yeah, the time frame to get an app release in is uh, pretty pretty long, from my understanding. It is. So, um, you did an episode though on one to one meetings and the importance of of those, and and if anyone doesn't know what I mean, it's like the meeting between you and your boss. Yeah. If you're from the states or here, they'll say line manager more yeah. often, but. And what resonated with me with that was because my current boss has a meeting with me every week, so that's great. And my previous boss did, but then I know a bunch of other ones just will cancel them. And you guys mentioned people just canceling because the boss has nothing to say, yeah. so they just think there's no, no reason yeah. for a touch base, and they don't even know that that's hurting the employees. And so that kind of subject and just having that emotional intelligence around it, first of all, how do you guys come up with the subject you talk about? But second of all... What do you think has made you want to talk about those things versus just your tech stuff? Yeah, I think when we set it up, we were like, this needs to be about leadership and as well as, as sort of testing. So we all had experience of, of being leaders and managing teams, and, and we've done quite a few on hiring and, and onboarding and training up new members of the team. But we have a Trello board. It's probably got about 70 or 80 topics on it now that we nice. we try and prioritise every week. We record every Wednesday or most Wednesdays. I think we were quite consistent recording every week while the pandemic was still on but now the world's woken up a bit it's a bit more sporadic when we actually record on a wednesday but we have a trello board and every week we prioritize the next two or three weeks ahead so mm-hmm. we plan two or three weeks ahead what we're going to record and then we release every two weeks so we do tend to have a backlog of about three or four episodes that we've got recorded so yeah and we it there isn't any real structure to which topics we decide each week but it is much we don't want to put out too many testing related topics in a row if we haven't done a leadership topic for a while so and the one-to-ones was something we were all passionate wanted to be an early one because as leaders we felt it was important to to have those right kind of meetings with one with your mm-hmm. your employees and not you know set it out that you've got one type of one-to-one that's the same for everybody because everybody's different everyone needs their own structure with their manager and they need to feel safe mm-hmm. they need to feel like they're being listened to they need to have the right structure in place for them some will want very formal some will want a casual how are you how's the family you know you learn a bit about them and and have a casual chat rather than a status update meeting but you know you, you try and accommodate everyone's needs and, and make sure they they have what they need yeah uh, i agree and i think it's really important so i just think it's cool you guys are covering that kind of stuff too um yes good to hear that it's useful yeah i think so so then you're a neurodiversity advocate as yeah. well and i'll tell you 
that I hadn't ever heard the term neurodiversity actually until I got to the UK. Okay. It's not like I didn't know people that, now that I know what it is, yeah. didn't know people, but it was something I experienced in the world of comedy, and there would be okay. these neurodiverse nights and things like that. So, yeah. first of all, can you just explain the term neurodiversity? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's it's, it's meanings changed somewhat, but from, from my my sort of experience of it, neurodiversity is it tends to mean the, the the explanation of the different brain conditions and the different wirings in the brain that mean people will think differently. And the, the, the classic forms of neurodiversity would be things like autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyslexia dyspraxia, dyscalculia, all those kind of um, neuro conditions. But it also it's become more widely as a everyone thinks differently technically everyone could be classed as neurodiverse in some way because no two people think exactly the same way so yeah it's really just just pushing that kind of diversity of the mind well and you've written i mean in your blog you've written articles about having a neurodiverse friendly workplace and mm. especially just i was reading some of your articles about interviewing and yeah. interview questions for example that was more recently yeah. you did and that was interesting and the idea that like Tell, ask someone, can you tell me about a time X, Y, or Z? And then they could just say yes. Yeah. And that'd be it. <laughs> yeah. And so can you talk a little bit about that? That was interesting to me. Yeah. I, it's just from my experience of, of interviews, when I look back at some of the interviews that I've been part of or I've been in you know, either interviewing or, or been the interviewee, it's very much been the the panel interview where you've got two or three people sat opposite you all staring at you at the same time asking you one question after another after another with sort of no breaks for conversations and i even i was i tried to apply to the military when i was going to university and i had the military interview where they have four or five of them with pat on the panel with clipboards watching every move of you and it just feels like that's the old that's the sort of the extreme version of what interviews tend to be it does feel like a bit mm -hmm. of a grilling and an assessment and just trying to make that more neurodiverse friendly particularly for someone with autism who doesn't do well with eye contact struggles with mm -hmm. eye contact if they're looking around the room rather than looking at you unless you know why that can sometimes be enough to, for an interviewer to go well i'm not going to take them they're not even look, giving me eye contact yeah but if you make it more neurodiverse friendly and say actually you're comfortable to sit wherever you want look in whatever direction you like i've had interviews before where i've had someone say you know that the client that's coming in is, is autistic he may not want to look at you and he did he sat and faced the way but once you wow. realise that, and yes, it felt a bit awkward to start with, he was then able to feel comfortable, he was able to articulate his answers, he was able to talk through things in a lot more detail than he would have done if he was facing me front on. And ultimately for me, it's all about making that interview process as comfortable as possible to be able to enable the person to be their true selves and find yeah. that topic that they can be really passionate and talk about. Because for me, an interview is about opening that, that box and getting someone passionate and excited about the topic they want to talk about and and see that real person so if you can find the way of questioning that like you say doesn't doesn't have closed questions where someone can just say yes or no and and actually give them the opportunity to to learn a bit more about the company and ask questions to you as well and and i think for maybe for someone with autism it might be good to send some of the questions out beforehand and give them yeah. time to prepare their answers so that they can give you the best response rather than what they've done on the spot and they they're, might be panicking or, or stressing in that moment. So mm -hmm. having time to, to, to prepare will, will definitely help. Yeah. I mean, there's even that game people who interview like to do where they try to have the gotcha question. Like, mm. oh, I'm going to see how... It's like, what... Is that how you're treating your employees? Well, exactly. Like, are you... Yeah. 
you know is that what you're doing yeah it's and, it's difficult isn't it it's interviews have to be less about trying to catch people out and trying to score points almost on on what you can get from an interview but more about let's aim to try and get the best out of the candidate as possible let them see the best version of us as, as interviewers as well and making it as accessible as possible for everyone involved mm-hmm. yeah i agree i talked to this woman i do some mentor work and help people with like interview prep and stuff sometimes and this one woman said she got feedback that she wasn't making eye contact and i actually just having made some friends i've made i've been more aware of things and so i asked her i said well is that an issue for you like do you you know not want to make eye contact and i said i can talk to one of my friends and see how they handle that and she said no i just it was easier not to because then i couldn't see their reaction and i was like wait was this online and she said yeah so it was a virtual interview and she wasn't making eye contact there, meaning she wasn't looking at the camera, which I think you and I are both not yeah, looking agreed. at the camera because we're looking at, <laughs> looking at I'm looking at your picture. face. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, cause, and so then I was like, well, just ignore him. Like, you know, I mean, yeah. if you're supposed to make eye contact virtually, that's ridiculous. Yeah, but if, it was, if, they're, if they're putting that kind of restriction on an interview process over on online virtually, then, then yeah, that doesn't sound like a, a company or a boss that I'd want to work for. <laughs> Yeah, just don't work for them. <laughs> that was weird, but I thought, man, what's this guy doing in person? You know, that yeah, was the weirdest absolutely. thing. So what got you involved in this? So I have a sister who's autistic. I've grown up with autism my whole life. Hmm. I'm pretty convinced I'm, I've got traits myself. I've also now got a seven-year-old son who's autistic as well. Hmm. So it's very, it's very, very at large in my family. And it, it's given me that determination to break down the barriers at all costs to ensure that my son has the best life he can be as successful as he can and not have things block him from progressing to where he wants to be on the in the school level as well as in the the workplace and it's been it's been really nice actually how how opening and appreciative EasyJet have been of me sort of presenting a, a lunch and learn session on neurodiversity and being able to push things a bit more there and, and opening those conversations up with people at work mm-hmm. and say, yeah, actually, yeah, I've got family who are on the spectrum or they've got ADHD and we've struggled with this, that and the other. And I'd love to be able to find ways to get people into the work environment. And it's now opened doors for me to be able to be involved in helping set the policies and work for accessible workplace around neurodiversity, not just for our staff, but also looking at our customers in airports as well and, and trying to really broaden that that view of, of how we help people from all backgrounds, not just the, the ones that are visibly disabled in airports. And it's just, yeah, it's just one of those things that's opened doors for me to start talking a bit more about knowing that I'm doing my little bit to help improve mm. the workplace and, and improve accessibility for everyone. Yeah. And w- one thing that you just said struck me was about it being invisible, you yeah. know, or being visible or not. And yeah, that's one thing with, I mean, I, so I think I've said it on this podcast before. I have MS and that's invisible mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And there is something interesting about when you can't see whatever it is with the person, often people will just say things to them, Yeah, you know, that are inside. I got told all the time how, you know, people with illnesses should just stay home and, you know, they're going to die anyway. And I was like, well, I'm mm. kind of standing right here, but thanks, you know, and <laughs> yeah. you just, and I think with autism and, and any well anything really in the neurodiversity spectrum that you talked about a lot of it's not visible like you don't exactly look at a person and just see it and so what, what 
I guess this is probably too big of a question, but what would you like to see change about that, about how people like treat each other even in an initial meeting just by making assumptions? Yeah, I, I just feel that people need to be free to be who they want to be and people need to be free to be able to share as much about it as they want to as well. And, you know, everyone needs to be accepting of not everyone's the same as you. Not everyone does things exactly the same way you do them. Examples, I've I worked with a colleague for a long time that used to insist on having a, a 10.30 coffee break every morning without fail, regardless of whether he was in the middle of a meeting, in the middle of talking to someone, in the middle of a piece of work. He would literally get up at his desk at half past 10 or get out of the meeting room and walk out of the room, go and grab a cup of coffee and walk out into the car park. And that was his daily routine. He would never switch from that. Nothing stopped him from doing it. And to start with, people were a bit like, why is he getting up out of a meeting? That's so rude. What, what, what's he think he's doing? It's, you know, co- career-ending type moves in some of the meetings yeah, he was yeah, in. Yeah. But it's it, it, it bred that acceptance of, okay, yeah, it's a routine. You know, we have to enable him to be his best. Let's allow him to do it. And eventually everyone got wind of it and everyone's like, okay, fair enough. That's that's just how he is. And it's just, just starting those little acceptance things, starting those small gestures of asking someone, is there anything I can do to help? Is there anything you need? You know, if if there's a very strong smell from a kitchen and you know someone's very sensory towards smells doesn't have to be someone with neurodiversity i myself you know (laughs) smell from the (laughs) microwave coming out you don't want to be near it but it's it's just enabling people to be able to move away and do things differently if they need to and still be able to work Mm. and and just being open and offering assistance if they need it being kind is what it comes down to being kind and being accepting of everyone for their differences and anything i can do to encourage that would be would be a plus yeah, I agree. I mean, because sometimes it's kind of our own hang-ups that get involved anyway when we're like, oh, that person's that, that person's that, and all these labels that everyone has to yeah. have. And even the pressure to label ourselves, like, you know, if you have a quirk or something, then you have to be some... Yeah, agreed. And that and that's one of the things around it is it's it's not necessarily about the label. I mean, I think neurodiversity has become a thing where everyone talks about neurotypical and neurodiverse and actually everyone's different we need to just talk about people as as being themselves you know embrace the differences accept everyone for who they are allow them to be their best selves if they need any kind of assistance support and whatever then then let's give them that and support them in whatever way we can Mm -hmm. and and just be be kind and be supportive with everybody yeah so what are some of the things outside of EasyJet that you've done with your advocacy? So I've done the blogging, which I've shared around in different places. I'm doing a conference panel talk in November on neurodiversity in tech, and I'm getting a few opportunities to do that kind of thing as well. I'm also talking in my son's school next week about neurodiversity. They've got a diversity week, so they've invited me in to talk about that. So there's, there's little bits and pieces going on. I'm doing a lot of sort of research in the background to to write more blogs and and publish more stuff on that but yeah it's it's more sort of just talking about it really and finding opportunities Mm -hmm. i've done a few podcasts like this where i've talked about it briefly so it's just trying to push that agenda out one one step at a time really and and help improve the the workplace and the the wider environment so do you think just between having the podcast and doing your advocacy work that that's been helpful to you as far as just work and creating more balance for yourself i would say yes i think there's other things i'm still doing as well i've i say yes to too many things but because (laughs) of my passions i mean one of the things i am also doing i've been doing for the last five years is i'm researching how much testing and quality is taught in university i set up a hashtag called make a tester about five years ago 
where I I literally I was invited back to my university and they're like come and do a careers talk and I, and then they asked me what I'm doing and I said I'm in QA oh no we don't teach that can you not come and do a careers talk on that can you come and do a special subject talk instead and I was like well hang on a minute it's a career why are you not letting me do a careers talk but then I started researching other universities and none of the UK top 25 taught testing at all or sorry one had a module one module in the top 25 so I did a talk at a, a conference. I, I sort of shared my research. I got the community to come back and say, okay, what are the top five skills we look for in testers? None of them were technical skills. There was critical thinking, there was communications, there was curiosity, all this kind of stuff, but no technical skills, which might be why universities weren't teaching it. But five years on, the podcast have agreed to sort of take it up as a as a new project. And before between the four of us, we're contacting every university in the UK to find out what computer science courses teach it we've spoken to 68 of them only 12 teach it at the moment so we're going to try and get the other 40 or 50 universities covered as well with the intention of writing a white paper or a research presentation to present at a conference and then pairing with a university to try and help them build the right syllabus to try and help it's not just about increasing the number of testers coming out of university it's increasing the awareness of testing full stop so even developers and pms and bas that come out into the workplace have got that knowledge of what good testing looks mm-hmm. like so they can help shape the quality aspects of stuff as well but yeah it's been a passion of mine i literally every opportunity i try and help talk about testing where i can we've got some work experience students coming in at easyjet at the moment and i'm trying to encourage them to look at testing and, and doing talks on testing as well i'm one of these people that are wear testing slogan t-shirts that i've picked up from conferences and and try and just start those conversations at any point i can yeah. and just try and get people talking about it because that's the only way to raise awareness outside of outside of the testing world outside of the testing bubble because i think one thing that's very clear is doesn't matter how many testers we have in the world we all talk to each other and we all think you know that within the testing world it's great but outside no one understands what we do well actually we need to right. start talking outside of our bubble then and start talking to people outside the testing world to make them realise what what we do and help shape the the way forward, build a culture of quality across our companies so that everyone understands where we're going. Yeah, that's great. And it's funny because it's like they don't teach that, but they don't teach them to write code with no bugs. Well, exactly. Yeah, You can't, yeah. right? It's just yeah. not going to... It's not but, like everyone gets out and goes, oh, I have no bugs, so... Yeah, on. well, that's the thing. I mean, they teach seven or eight different programming languages in a three-year computer science course, but they don't yeah. teach you any, any testing at all. It's... It's kind of like not teaching someone who write to in writing class, not teaching them grammar yeah, in a way. Right? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's a it's really like, good oh, way of putting it. I just write whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> in any order. It yeah. doesn't matter. No, absolutely. <laughs> uh, that's actually a really good analogy. I might use that again if that's okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, please do. That'd be good. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Is there anything we didn't cover that you want to? I don't think so. I think, no, I think we've covered everything that I think I'm doing at the moment. I'll talk testing till the cows come home. So uh, it's uh, it's it's become more than a job; it's a hobby, really. Other than spending time with the kids and my my wife and um, doing the podcast, I, I I'm always trying to upskill myself, learn more, but not to not just for my sake, but to try and improve my team, improve the way we do work at, and um, do testing at work, and build that culture. And I'm starting to get some traction at work. We've built an internal community where. We invite everyone across technology to come and talk, to listen to testing talks and whatever else. And even the director of tech is like really on board with testing now and he, he's sort of pushing the, you know, you need to do this right, make sure we put it in the right places rather than it being the old-fashioned view of, oh, testing's not important. Because at the start of the pandemic, they got they broke down the whole testing department, 
got rid of the head of QA, separated mm. us all out into separate teams, and yeah, it's not worked. So they're now looking at how we build up testing again as an important practice. So it's it's having a difference, and me being the persistent voice and uh, not being shy to push quality at every opportunity has definitely helped with that. Well, that's awesome. Well, good for you. That's really great. Thank you. So do you have any advice or mantra that you just like that you want to share with the audience? I think the thing that I learned a few years ago is stick to your values and don't be don't be afraid to, to, to make changes if your values are not being met. I spent a lot of time, I, I did a self-retrospective about four years ago where I wrote down all the things I thought I was doing well, all the things that weren't, and built my my own values both from a i've done blog posts on both there's testing values and there's leadership values and i try to make sure i stick to those i actually find it easy to stick to my leadership values and i do my testing values but i'm still trying to make sure i fit them and i've moved jobs twice now since i created those values because there was conflicts with them Hmm. and uh, i try to live every day i know i've got the values on my wall i stick to them i try and make sure i work through them and challenge myself if i'm not doing it so i would say yeah exactly that stick to your values or invest time in in finding your values mm-hmm. and then stick to them and don't be afraid to make difficult decisions if you're conflicting with them great is there a tool or is it in your blog that you wrote about how you did your assessment or is there a tool you like liked um, using for assessing your values i i can't remember what tool it was i used it but i used a mind mapping tool to create a mind map of all the things that i was doing and mm-hmm. generated off that but yeah mind maps i love writing drawing mind maps out to think things through and i use the interactive whiteboard stuff now like miro and metro retro are really good for, for retrospectives mm-hmm. it's all online with sticky notes and stuff it's really good oh cool nice and actually, I saw on your website, too, you have this readme document yes. that you created. Yeah. So what is that? Because I, I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, I might try to do one. Well, that's that's good to hear. I That's come out this year. I, I did that. I was struggling with the community, especially with the meeting overloads at work and, and the fact that people were just literally, you know, you think you've got a half hour break. You walk, you, you, you go and have a toilet break or go and make a cup of tea. You come back and that half an hour break's been filled with a meeting because people aren't sending uh, requests out yeah. beforehand and saying oh oh can we book and talk about this they're just block booking your calendar wherever they can see a gap um and you get you're in meetings all day or you're working on stuff all day and you get constant ims on slack or on teams wanting to talk to you where they just say hi and you don't get back to them and then they ping you again and it just got to a point where i was like you know what i need to set some boundaries here i'm i'm not mm-hmm. getting any work done because i'm responding to either ims or i'm in meetings all day so let's set some boundaries and i used it as an ex- a way of explaining what my communication preferences are and then also what makes me tick what are my topics i like talking about which obviously testing was one of them and then sort of what not to do what things that really frustrate me as well and i've shared it internally and i actually i presented at our all hands recently a well-being all hands where they where they got me to present about it because it's something they're trying to encourage other people to look at as well and then i put it in my signature at work so you know want to know how best to communicate with me read my, check my read me and people are starting to follow it people are actually um, booking meetings with agendas they are sending me a, a message on slack or something first saying hey can we chat for 10 minutes let me know when you're free kind of thing rather than just dialing me or 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 setting up a meeting in a gap that i've got yeah so it's it's starting to change that and hopefully other people will pick it up as well and it'll it'll improve but yeah it's another way of me trying to trying to improve my own situation and give myself some 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 time back to have breaks and have lunch and 
get some exercise. Yeah, I'm one of those people who I don't like. If friends or family, I want people to call me, right? Because yeah. I don't feel like enough people call, and yeah. I just feel like I would agree with that. Like, but uh, there's some people who just will call you at work and say, like, "What are you doing? Are yeah. you?" You almost feel like, "How dare you?" <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> call me. Yeah, what are you doing? And and yeah, and I do prefer to like just if you need something, just say it. Don't make me talk to you about my weekend and stuff. <laughs> When you just wanted this one thing answered, because now you've taken my yeah. five, you know, so I get it. And it's not unfriendliness, it's just more, yeah. like, let's be honest about what we want. And you don't care about my weekend, so now, you know. Alright, so, we have the fun five. It's the last questions I ask every guest. It's my, I guess, way of just having some control on this podcast, <laughs> but... <laughs> So, we could automate these, actually, I guess. That'd be the only thing you could automate here. But, um. <laughs> <What about> automation? <laughs> What's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this earlier. I think there's two, possibly. I've got a t-shirt for my first ever gig, which was Bowling for Soup, who are in a US punk pop band. I yeah, saw them yeah. in Norwich in 2003. Yeah, nice. I've got, still got that t-shirt, still wear that. And I've got a football shirt from a similar time frame from my team, Peterborough United, as well. So... I still wear them when I can, uh, much to my nice. wife's disgust sometimes, but yeah, I still wear them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they start to lose their integrity. Yeah. I'm a little older than you, I think, so just give it another 10 years and you'll see what happens. That's all my, my Phil Collins t-shirts destroyed, put it that way. Pandemic, you spent more time in like, clothes you yeah. never wear out. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so if every day was really Groundhog's Day, like people have been saying, and it's kind of felt that way, we both been sick or i am now but you were recently what song would you have your alarm clock play every morning i spent too much time thinking about this one i i <laughs> as with everything I, I i narrowed it down to about four songs but i think i'll go for an upbeat one that reminds me of good times and that'll be mr Brightside by the killers nice <laughs> that's cool uh coffee or tea or neither <sighs> both <laughs> both <gasps> yeah i again i'm i'm strange with this one as well i'll probably start the day with the tea with breakfast and then mid-morning i'll have a coffee if i'm in the office i'll have costa i love my costas but at home yeah just a, a, a latte of some kind and then yeah back onto tea for the afternoon nice do you have a certain way you take the tea strong with a little bit of milk okay and it has cool. to be yorkshire tea as well okay so very specific <laughs> yeah because some people just say tea and they don't really know and yeah. i'm like ah you're not drinking it then <laughs> Can you think of a time you just laughed so hard you cried or just something that makes you do that, like you just lose it? I was listening to the your podcast with Brian Moore this morning and he said something about his daughters and I think I'd say the same about my my sons. They, they, they've got to an age now where they're sassy and they, mm-hmm. they repeat stuff back and um, you just hear the things like, don't talk to me like that. And you're thinking, <laughs> they've obviously heard that from me or, or, his, or their mum. And it, you, you try and keep a straight face in the moment, but it's, yeah, you can't stop yourself from laughing sometimes. They're just some of the comments they're now coming out with. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm not very good at hiding my laughing either, which doesn't help. No, no I've talked about that. I had my sister, I had a Mother's Day one, and I had my sister as one of the guests and a couple other women. And my sister and I talked about that, how our mom would just get so mad at us, but then she'd be laughing. Mm. And trying not to laugh, so then we'd start laughing at her, and it was just this whole thing, yeah. you know? And then my sister kind of is like that, and I'm, I mean, I don't have kids, so I'm the worst. I'll start laughing. I don't care. It's not my, it's the parents' problem, not mine. <laughs> yeah, fair play. <laughs> okay, and who inspires you right now? I think it's without sounding cheesy, obviously my, my kids and my wife are, are the first mm-hmm. ones that come to mind, but I think at the moment, my team at work, the, the amount of 
they've gone through this last six months of the year and they're all still doing it with a smile on their face they're all trying to learn they're all trying to move forward and we're all collectively doing it together there's no there's no sort of hierarchy as such with the team we're all in it together and we all feel it every day and I think they've actively inspired me to be better for them I think over the last 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 year that's awesome that's really nice yeah I mean you can tell you just have respect for everyone you work with so it's awesome (laughs) no I mean not everyone does so it's good you know I feel similar like just it's important to work with cool people yeah absolutely cool well Simon, it's been great chatting with you. I really enjoyed it. So thanks for yeah, coming on. And Thank you for having me on. I'm really glad I've responded to that LinkedIn post. <laughs> yeah, I am too. See, this is what happens. If you guys write to us <laughs> yeah. in our podcast posts, we respond to them. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, cool. All right. Thank you. Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about the guest in the show notes. Joe Mafia created the music just for this podcast. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Metke is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let me know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work. Follow at More Than Work Pod or send a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Or visit our website, morethanworkpod.com. Give us a follow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review if you like. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm.